Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Good morning, everyone. So Nancy mentioned we're going to start out back to basics, and I'm using the Science of Mind textbook. And for those of you who have been around for a while, you know, well, gosh, it seems like he does that every year. And you know what? You'd be right. <laughs> in fact, it's not even just us in the Science of Mind movement, the Centers for Spiritual Living. Probably about 70 or 80 percent of the Centers for Spiritual Living internationally every year do back to basics in January. Now you might think, wow, he's got it easy this week. He can just pull out those old sermons and kind of read through it a little bit and he's set. Uh, But you know me, uh, I of course like to make things difficult sometimes. (laughs) And so every year it is my great joy to kind of reinterpret, if you will, those first four chapters. Now the good news for you who are following along, it's only about 50 pages. So if you've got that old copy of the Science Mind textbook somewhere, bring it out and we're just covering chapters in in four Sundays, and I think we're going to have some fun together. I want to read to you the promise, if you will, out of this book. The foreword in here by internationally known writer Gene Houston, I think, says it all. And, uh, And so here is what Gene Houston says about the Science of Mind textbook. She says, this is a book for the ages. It contains the distilled wisdom of many eras, many cultures, and one great soul. To read it is to be changed, to enter into partnership with God, and to relearn the laws of co-creation. It is perhaps one of the most potent and influential books of the 20th century, and yet it appears in no compendium of great books. Its words have inspired countless millions, seeded the growth of spiritually innovative churches and philosophies, and yet no university places it in its curriculum. Perhaps... This is as it should be, for it is the hidden masterpiece which must be discovered only when one is ready to enter upon the larger life. For the first time in human history, we are now required as a species to extend ourselves into radical new ways of being. The tasks that are now ours, the tasks of virtual creation, compel the revolution in our own consciousness that will tell us we are part of a great unfolding of spirit itself. These are the times, we are the people, and this is the book that can help us do it. This year I'm also going to do something A little different, something that I haven't done before. Many of you know that one of my personal heroes uh, was Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And as we get close to honoring his birthday, I'm going to do something I haven't done before. Now, most of us know him as a statesperson, as a civil rights leader, as a as an amazing orator, as even a political figure, if you will. Not many of us, however, sat in one of his churches. And listen to one of his sermons. And so I hope you're in for as much of a treat as it was for me to research some of the writings, uh, which were sermons, of Dr. King. What I'm going to do this month is, uh, of course, you're going to get my own spin on things, but uh, Dr. King has a lot of amazing things to say about spirituality that so fit in with what we're all about. And so where shall we start? 
I'm going to start the way Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. started the very first sermon that he gave in Montgomery, Alabama, January 1st, 1956. He said, this is the beginning of a new year. It is a time when the startling facts of yesterday and the heightening expectations of tomorrow join hands in the passing urgency of today. There is no better way to begin this year than with the conviction that our God is a God of power. This God is able to do exceedingly abundant things in our lives and in the life of the universe. To believe in and to live by the fact that God is able is to transform, transform life's impending sunsets into glittering sunrises. The conviction that our God is able is a conviction stressed in and exalted over in both the New and Old Testaments. And this conviction stands at the center of our faith. Theologically, it is expressed in the doctrine of the omnipotence of God, that the God we worship is not a weak God. God is able to beat back the gigantic mountains of any opposition. The ringing cry of our faith is that our God is able. And so one of the chief tenets also of the science of mind is that God is omnipotent. That there is the greatest power in the universe. That all power in the universe derives from the one power, the one God. And it, it doesn't matter what you call it, whether you want to call it Allah, whether you're a good Southern Baptist and you would call it God, whether you believe in the, the tradition of the earth spirits or, or, or the Hindu pantheon, doesn't matter what name it goes by, it is the one, the God, the unified spirit, and the one power. But you know, we also think of God in a couple area, other areas that I want to talk about. Not just only powerful, but also omnipresent, also present everywhere. And I want to uh, perhaps kick that off with a little joke. So when I went to Catholic school, I walked into the cafeteria one day, and there at the end of the food line was a dessert table with a big bowl of apples. Next to it was a sign that said, take one, but God is watching. Well, I finished going through the line, and I sat down, and I noticed that one of my friends had gotten three chocolate chip cookies. Stunned, I asked, didn't you notice the sign? We're only supposed to take one. My friend replied, it was next to the apples. So God isn't just watching one part of the dessert table. Now, that probably should have been obvious to us when we were 10, but let's make it even more obvious now that we're fully adults. If God truly is all-powerful, the only way God can be all-powerful is if God is present everywhere, that that force of God is working in and as and through everything that we see and hear and that we do. God truly present everywhere. The final piece of it is that God is omniscient, the idea of wisdom everywhere. 
that any bit of wisdom that can exist on the planet, whether it's known currently or yet to be discovered, is also part of that wisdom, part of that foundational nature of God itself. So the the three major principles that I think Dr. King and I, and whether you're a, a Southern Baptist or a science of mind person here at the Centers for Spiritual Living that we'd all agree on, is that God is omnipotent, all-powerful, God is omniscient, all-wise, and that God is omnipresent, present everywhere. This is the nature of the God that we pray to, that we sing to, that we, we come to celebrate every Sunday together. This is that one power. This is that thing itself. Now, I do want to, of course, talk about perhaps, though, our unique idea, our little flavor of God that is a little bit different than perhaps some other religions on the planet. And this one is easy to talk about, too. It isn't that those three things that we talked about are any different for us. What is different, perhaps, is the becauseness of it. So we say that we believe as God is all-powerful, the reason, the because of it, we believe that God is all-powerful because all the power that can exist comes from God. So the, the, the human power, the power of business dealings, the, the power of nature, the, the power, any power that you can name, we would say that is part of the power of God. That might be a little different than what you're used to hearing. And if you think about it too, this power is, uh, well, how do I want to say it? If it was just the power, right? If it was just the power, boy, would disaster movies be even more popular than they are now. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever noticed that people are drawn to some of those disaster movies where the, you know, the second flood is coming or, or uh, it's about hurricanes or lightning storms or tornadoes and people are transfixed? And I think one of the reasons that they are transfixed about it, and rightly so, is what? It's illustrating power. It's illustrating the raw power of nature itself, Right? But as Dr. King said, it's more than just that. Our God is an able God. Not just power in that raw natural sense, but also the power to be able, the power to be present in our lives in a personal way. Not just that impersonal hurricane, but in a very personal way, a way that responds to our prayers, a way that exists in our daily lives. And so not only powerful in that big sense, but powerful in that personal sense as well. There is a God, not only without doing nature, if you will, but there is also a God within that is just as close as our own heart and our own breath. A God that is an able God to show up in our own affairs. So we believe that God is wise, but in the science of mind, we believe that God is wise because all the wisdom that can exist is part of God's wisdom. The actual ideas, whether they be formed by scientists or ministers, whether they have been figured out by mathematicians or or great writers, all of the, the wisdom of the planet, if you will, is God's wisdom, right? We might be sharing it, but it comes from the one source of all things, that is God. And when we talk about God being present everywhere, we talk about God being present everywhere because God is everything. 
There isn't God and something else. There isn't a, a force uh, somehow in opposition. There isn't any duality in what we believe. And in fact, here is one of the major differences between us and some of the other beliefs in the world, right? If we were in a different church, not only would we be giving praises, hosannas on high to God, but we also might be talking about a little bit of fear about what? The other guy, Right? In many of the religions of the world, there is the duality. There's the force of good, and there's the force of evil. There's God, and there's something like a devil, or, or, or some kind of temptations, or, or that kind of thing. We do not believe that. And here is a part, too, that's sometimes hard to swallow. People will come up to me and say, well, really, Larry, if there's only God, I'd like you, if you would, and in 10 words or less, to explain a car accident. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, 10 words or less, huh? <laughs> Let me think about this one. But I would say where we come up with the difference here is that the first gift we're given is free will. That God so loves us, if you will, that free will is the order of the day. And so what we observe as bad things going on in the world, what we might observe or, or come to the conclusion somehow that evil exists or something not like God is actually God's greatest gift. The gift that we have to do and think as we will, even when it's a mess. So when we look out in the world and we see things gone haywire, when we see the car crashes, when we see people behaving badly, when we have to talk about things like prisons and laws and things like that, it isn't because some part of God has left off or is ignoring or, or has become lost. It's because God's first gift of free will isn't always used as well as it might be. Doesn't negate God's presence in the world. It just says that with God comes our own ability to make up our own minds, make our own decisions, take our own choices. And sometimes we choose so very well and sometimes we may have to choose again. The other thing I want to talk about today, another aspect of God that isn't true for all of the major religions, um, and I would say it's the idea of imminence, and, and this goes back to the idea of omnipresence, but the idea of imminence is that God literally is working in our affairs at every minute of the day, and that's true for everyone on the planet truly present down to the smallest level of detail, as well as that big blow-up picture of how things are going. God everywhere present. Now, contrast that with some of the pictures of God that you might have from your childhood or from other religions, right? For a lot of us, the idea of God started as that, that maybe even guy-like creature in the sky that kind of created everything in a big bang, and then what? And then kind of stepped back, kind of turned it on and let it running and then pulled back as though to observe from a distance. 
And so many pictures of God out in the world are that kind of judging kind of guy in the sky that's keeping track. And I know Christmas season is over, but that whole idea of naughty and nice, right? For a lot of us, that applies not just to Santa Claus. For a lot of us, our first idea of God was not only did God create the universe, but now God's checking out to see how well we're using it. (laughs) And so when things go wrong, there's that idea of God might be right in it to teach us a lesson, if you will, that idea of, uh, of retribution or, or sin or things like that. All of these are interesting concepts. I understand where they came from, and we just don't particularly believe in them here. It wasn't part of Ernest Holmes' teachings, and it's not what we teach on Sunday. It isn't that bad things don't happen. It isn't that there aren't people in the world that might cause harm. But it's not the devil. It's our own choices. It's not sin. It's just making a mistake. And the, likewise, the good news is forgiveness is as quick as changing our behaviors. Forgiveness is as quick as finding a new way, changing our mind about things, showing up in a more positive and loving way in the world, right? We don't have to go to confession for that. Or if we do, the only thing we have to confess to is just right here and make a different choice. This is the nature of God that we talk about on Sunday here. And uh, for the most part, I think we're going to enjoy our Sundays this month as we, as we also compare it to some of the teachings of, uh, of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I know we're going to have fun with that. So I'm going to assign you a little bit of homework this week. You know that you know, there's no escaping the homework. This one, I think, is the easiest homework that you get from the year and also the hardest homework you get for the year all wrapped up in one. It's easy because I'm asking you to do no more than just be observant. I want you to go through this week being observant. And the observancy takes a, a special case because we say that God is everywhere present. That tells me that everything you observe is part of God. And so when you're in the grocery line and it gets a little long and you're getting a little impatient, I want you to look out at the grocery line and say, this too is part of God. When you're at home with the people that matter the most to you and you're sensing that warmth and love of friends or family or or pets or people on the other end of the phone, I want you to say to yourself, this too is part of God. When you're having an argument with someone at work or someone that, uh, that comes into your life, I want you to think a minute. I want you to notice that this too is part of God. And when you're in your, your tendermost place, when you're in that, that place most authentically yourself, I want you to observe that even you too are part of God. So that's your homework this week. Nothing uh, uh, harder or easier than observing that truly everything, every person, every place, everything, every situation, all is part of God. I'm going to close today with a quote um, uh, from Ernest Holmes as he closes out this particular chapter. We've been talking about the thing itself, and of course, that's how, that's how uh, Ernest Holmes refers to God. He doesn't want to make him look like a, a guy in the sky, right? We're not going to create God in our image, but rather the other way around. And so Ernest Holmes in this first chapter just calls God the thing 
itself. And here's what he says. When we learn to trust the universe, we shall be happy. We shall be prosperous and we shall be well. We must learn to come under that divine government and accept the fact that nature's table is ever filled. Never was there a cosmic famine. The finite alone has wrought and suffered, but the infinite lies stretched out in smiling repose. God is always God. No matter what our personal emotional storm is or what our objective situation may be, there is always something hidden in our innermost being that has never, ever been violated. We may stumble, but there is always that eternal voice forever whispering within our ear that thing which causes the eternal quest, that thing which forever and ever sings the eternal song of love and peace, this... This is the thing itself. Let us pray. There is one power. There's one presence. There's one life. There's one God. All of it, all of it wrapped up in a universal universal unity of all things. I call it God, and regardless of the name it goes by, it is truly everything. It is that pantheon, that, that accumulation, that, that largest container of all things. It means the planet, it means you and me, it means our lives. Truly, God, God everywhere. I know this extends to the wisdom of the planet, that omniscience. I know that it, it means the universal power that exists, all of it, all of it from the one source, the one God, the one life, the one consciousness. And so for this week, I know that each one of us has that ability to see that God, that level of the divine, if you will, in all things, in our situations in life, in the people that we meet, in our, in our work, in our, in our love life, in the, just the day-to-day busyness of our world. We have that ability to see God in its glory God in its divine nature. God in that freshness and allness of all things. And I'm just grateful for this. Grateful to recognize powerful God. Grateful to recognize all-seeing and all-wise God. Grateful to recognize God present always. And so I just release this prayer into the activity and action of the law itself. Just sensing that goodness, sensing that personalness of God. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. So glad you joined us as we go back to basics. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.com. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. 
Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.